This is the Tech Talk for Accountants show with your host, Andrew Lassis, where every week we have a new guest to discuss the latest technology, apps, tips, and tricks to help you improve your accounting firm. This episode is brought to you by Tech for Accountants, an IT firm that specializes in cybersecurity for the small accounting firm. Many of our clients used to work at big firms that had all this crazy security and then went to work for themselves, and while they knew it was important to have great IT security, they just have too many other things to worry about and don't have enough time to actually learn this stuff. What we do is help bridge the gap so that even small accounting firms have great security at a fraction of the cost of doing it themselves, and it's all done for you. We offer listeners to the show a complimentary IT audit and consultation. Just go to tech4accountants.net slash podcast. And you can book a free IT audit. Again, that's tech, the number four, accountants.net slash podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Tech Talk for Accountants show. I'm your host, Andrew Lassis, with Tech for Accountants, IT specializing in the accounting community and profession. With us today is Roger Connect, for more than, who for more than 20 years has personally helped thousands of accounting professionals start and build their businesses, and in that time has created programs to address each aspect of running an accounting business and helped author Red to Black, the how-to guide. I love the animation. You know, usually it's just, it's just the nod of that is correct. That is correct. But the, the finger Let's do gun, this. Let's the have finger fun. guns is that's that's really I think I'm going to make it a new requirement for anybody on the show as as the intro is being done I need some <laughs> some finger guns liven it up a little bit yeah liven it up wake up yeah <laughs> so Roger give us a little background on uh, who you are and what you do president of Universal Accounting Center I basically work with accounting professionals helping them either start build their accounting businesses or get the skills they need to further their their employment or career objectives. I've been doing this for over 20 years. Uh, started in the, let's say, temp placement, direct hire space. I was a recruiter, headhunter. And uh, from that became acquainted with, familiar with Universal Accounting. I was taking the graduates of the training programs that were offered and placing them on positions. And it was through that experience that I got to know the school very well, was hired on and grew up through the ranks to where I'm now the president of the school. So not just the guy that was like, hey, I got an idea and here we go, but actually seeing it from the bottom to the top. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the school's been around since 1979. So it's over 40 years. I'm the third president of the school. And my experience was, yes, placing individuals in employment positions from entry, mid-level to high-end, where they were basically being given responsibilities in companies based on their skill sets. And I was hiring or finding them, I should say, to hire them. So that was my introduction to the accounting profession. I'm technically not an accounting uh, professional myself. But having done this for 20 years... I know my way around the spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah, that's that's sort of the the position that we're in too. I I have a general background, and once upon a time, I did a volunteer position doing uh, taxes with the volunteer income tax assistant program uh, from the IRS. So in two thousand nine, a couple hundred people in Wacomico County, Maryland, had their taxes done by. Andrew Lassis, the kid in college who had enough people doing the due diligence on the back end to make sure I didn't mess anything up. I had one return that came back and was rejected. 
and it was it was my own return (laughs) because they didn't do due diligence on my own return because they assumed you do a ton of these and you know your own information right and you know Almost had the hundred percent. At least I didn't mess up anybody else's. <laughs> Until your audit came through. Right, right. And it's like, huh, this broke college kid making five bucks an hour at the at the uh, computer lab, which then turned into, you know, the career path that went down and and here we are. So when people are being placed in a firm, what are some of the things that you were kind of looking for? in that um in that role and then how'd that evolve so at the time what i would be doing is assessments the agency that i worked for would have the individual do some assessments as they were being interviewed it would assess their skills their familiarity with accounting in general and so forth but it was from that that we could then determine what their skill sets were for then the positions that were available Uh, today what it is is i feel that so many people they just need something to update their resume and stand out from the rest of the individuals that are in the market. And so when you deal with high unemployment, uh, you're dealing with positions getting as, as many as 10, 50, 100 applicants for a position. How do you rise to the top? And so we actually have a free job placement assistance program that we provide to anyone and everyone that literally shows them how to be that individual that gets interviewed. Because really, when you do an application for a position, there's only one purpose for that application, and it's to get you the interview you're looking for. It's not to get the job, it's to get the interview. And so if you've got a resume that's particularly designed with perhaps even an introduction letter, it can it can really rise you to the top of the list and in doing so give you the opportunity to find employment. So uh, to answer your question, yeah, there's a, a few tricks of the trade having been on the recruiting side that I share with individuals in a job placement program that we have. The timing for this is actually perfect because we're hiring two positions and put out the job post of this is this is what we're looking for, da, 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 list out everything. And so one of them is for the tech position, work from home tech position. Like you don't have to talk to a ton of people. You don't have to be face to face. Like you don't even have to like shower as long as it doesn't smell through the the phone. You know, it, it's like the ideal tech job of like, wait, I can just roll out of bed, do tech stuff, like talk to people here and there. So we got 475 applicants. So I know on my side, what some of the things that I was looking for when I was hiring, but I'm curious to hear from your side, what are some of the suggestions that uh, you're giving people? Well, it depends on whose whose perspective we're looking at. If it's yours, the hiring individual, you've got to realize you only have but a few seconds, literally two to three seconds, to look at a resume and determine which pile of the of the uh, which pile you're going to put it in. I'm going to t- further this along, research or maybe even interview this person here. I'm just not even interested in. And it's interesting to me what red flags appear and quickly exclude individuals: the typos, the the bad formatting on the resume. It's in- incredible that these things are non-job related, and yet they are oftentimes the triggers that remove people from the candidate pool. So those are things that are very important. On the backside for the for the uh, candidate, the individual that's applying for the position, I can't emphasize enough that one of the strategies you want to use is backwards engineering the actual job listing 
how the employer chooses to list the skills, the responsibilities, that's a telltale indicator of how your resume should be reading. And so you take your template resume and you need to adapt it to this specific position that you're trying to apply for. Now, realize if you're an applicant and you're applying for jobs, you may be applying to, let's say, 10 or more positions in a day. And so you're taking your template, taking the job uh, position that's described, and you're going to tailor your resume to this position. And then you're going to save the resume as that resume for that position, that company. And there, therefore, you're going to have a folder full of all these resumes that you've tweaked and adapted to each position. So then when it comes time for that company to reach out to you to interview, you have on file the one that you actually submitted so that it's the same one that they've already seen. So a lot of little nuances and tricky things here, but it does allow the candidate to rise to the top and achieve what they're hoping for, get that resume to then help us get that interview. And that's all we're trying to accomplish with that process. That's really, really smart. And so many, so many of the, the applicants that we are looking at, and I mean, when you have 400 some applying, I mean, it was just no, 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 no. I mean, it literally was the well, I'll give best you a, of I'll, the best, really. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a key example. You, the employer, know that you're looking for maybe a certain skill set, maybe a certain techno, technological thing. Maybe they need to know a particular software. My point is, is you're doing a keyword search oftentimes on these resumes. And generally what happens is they come into an HR department or to the company, and you're looking for, say, three to five keywords. And if those words are missing from the resume, they get eliminated. And so what the applicant needs to do is help those keywords be prominent on the resume, stand out a little bit better, be more at the at the top, let's say, maybe at the beginning, maybe at the beginning of maybe a bullet point or a sentence. It's how do I get that to stand out? Because if you're just doing a keyword search on these resumes and eliminating them based on how many don't have these words, shame on the applicant for just not including the word in the resume. Yeah, that's that makes sense. And where where we've had a decent amount of success that on the hiring side actually does help a lot on LinkedIn's job posts. Mm -hmm. You can have a whole bunch of different questions that are automatic, get rid of. So That's one right. of our questions, have you had more than two jobs in the last four years? If the answer is yes, you are not a candidate. We don't want people that are hopping between hopping between employment left and right. You know, we want people that are here for the long haul. And, you know, if your history makes me believe that you are not that person, of course, everyone says, oh, well, you know, that's not me, but it like is. And, and we had discussed this uh, ahead of time. I want to let you take it from here. Let's see how long you can go. He knows yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. So here's what it is. Basically, what you're looking at is on a resume, you have the opportunity to explain so much. But in indeed, as an example, you have as an as the employer the opportunity to actually screen the candidates based on these questions that could be cultural related, just basically looking at your culture and what those things are that matter to you. You could also be looking at experience, you can be looking at goals. There's a lot of things that you can use to qualify. Now, for the listeners, let me just point out Andrew has trusted me with this actual presentation here. So let me just give you a few little tidbits that might be helpful for those of you 
you who are who during the recession may be finding yourself in a position where that you need to find employment is to realize that there are things that you can actively be doing to help you become that that cream of the crop in the resume application. And the things that I'd highly recommend is the one thing I shared earlier, taking the job uh, description and backwards engineering it to doing a cover letter, trying to actually take the job description and in the cover letter, explain all the things that help you stand out from the rest. And the cover letter can really be that telltale thing that in a paragraph can highlight the things that are important to the employer. They've stated them. You're clarifying that you have that experience. And that cover letter then can make you personable where the resume oftentimes isn't personable. It is too often kind of like a, an obituary. It's a, here's my history. Here's my past. Here's what I've done. The letter of recommendation is where you come to life and you have a chance to actually speak to the the person that's screening everybody to consider them for interviews. So there you go. Yeah, and having having the differentiators that matters so much. Again, we're talking almost 500 people applying. One of the things that a handful of people did, and it at least got me to notice them to look a little deeper than the cursory look at the top, but a handful of people uh, directly messaged me saying, I'm interested in it. If there's anything, you know, that you'd like to discuss here it is. And so they, they specifically had reached out to me individually and the, the handful that did, none of them actually ended up being just, just looking at their resume. It was like, this isn't going to be the right fit. You don't have any experience in what we're looking for. And so you know, for, for the type of position that we're hiring for, we're going to require at least five years of experience. You don't have any. However, keep doing this because you at least got me to look at it for more than a split second. Mm -hmm. And, but like LinkedIn already told me that I wasn't going to hire them regardless, but I did yeah. go and look. But that active uh, effort that that candidate did will pay off. If it didn't work for you as the employer, it will work with another employer. Absolutely. So it's, it's a best practice. So your idea of if I'm a candidate researching a little bit, going to the LinkedIn profiles that I can find of the people that may be involved in the hiring process and just reaching out direct messaging, hey, wanted to connect with you, just submitted an application to be considered for this position is a superb direct message that you can give to an individual. That connection now on LinkedIn matters. And so all of a sudden you've got this one-on-one -on -one personal connection with the person. And then to add to this, I would definitely suggest after an interview to likewise direct message the person thanking them. Hey, by the way, appreciated the time you spent with me today. I appreciated your questions. I hope that I can be considered. Those little bits of effort, an email following the interview, all those things will help you become what's called top of mind. It helps you, it helps the candidate now be the individual that the employer is weighing everyone against. There's this person I'm familiar with and everyone else. It doesn't mean you're going to be the individual offered the position, but it now is that you're part of the consideration as they're weighing either or type uh, people. So there you go. And standing out basically everything in life, especially when it's commoditized and, you know, we're just looking at a sea of resumes and throwing it left and right, like standing out really does give you the advantage and all things equal, who's the employer going to choose the one that now they are familiar with who, you know, not only did they meet the requirements that we were looking for, but also 
stood out, went the extra mile. It gives me reassurance as the employer that this person is interested in this specific job, not just in getting a job, but they want this job. And when I've, I've had people, because people love the idea of the remote work from home environment and some of the salespeople that I've hired, they pretty much, I think they've all been people that directly messaged me and asked me questions and made themselves stand out. And one of them in particular, actually, he was he was not my number one choice. He was my number two choice. He wasn't number one. And we were only going to hire one. We ended up hiring number one and number two. Wow. Because it was <clears throat> number one's definitely going to work out, checks all the boxes. And we were correct. He did. And he's done exceptionally well. Number two actually performs twice as well as the one that we had offered it to initially. We, we basically were like, we're going to hire both and one of them's going to do better than the other. And it's like, oh, great. These guys are both good. And then it was like, okay, so we'll just keep two really good employees. But had that person not personally reached out, thanked me, would have been just another interview, just another person. And, you know, hey, we, we went with someone else because he has this one little thing ahead of you that we were looking for. And so we just think that that person on paper would be a better fit. And so it really does go a long way. And we weren't even expecting to do the hire two. And basically I had landed on number one. My tech manager said, number two is our guy. And then we were like, I oh, will just do both, but, you know, standing out and making us even consider that and changing what we thought we were looking at. It's, it's huge to be a, a differentiator. So when you're applying, make sure that you're standing out. And that goes for anything in life. You know, the, the marketing that we do, like at uh, trade shows, things like that, we've got these chargers that people love and they're very usable. Like my goal is that you're not going to throw away the stuff that we give you. So yes, it costs more, but for something that costs us like a dollar fifty to put out versus like a pen that costs someone else thirty cents that'll get thrown away, yes, it cost me five times as much, but it's also doing what I need it to do. So you know, going that extra mile, being memorable, and there were people that we did this first time at Scaling New Heights six months ago, and then we were at QuickBooks Connect last week or two weeks ago, and people came up to the booth saying, "Do you have any more of those chargers? That's so cool!" And so they knew who we were. Yeah. Okay. Did we get a deal because we're the charger people? Maybe not, but they know who we are. There's the brand recognition, the repetition, being different, and different in a way that makes sense. You know, you don't want to like apply for a professional job and show up in a clown costume and be like, Hey, I'm different. You know, it has to, it has to fit, but yeah, standing out, I think just in general in life, I mean, it's, it's so much of what we try to accomplish and try to decommoditize, which is really what everything comes down to. If you can be a specialist and stand out from everybody else, then all things equal, you will be the one that gets picked nine times out of 10. If, there isn't any differentiator and I mean, to dig into the, the niching conversation for a, for months, years of how, uh, how I feel on that and how that's transformed our own business. But so stepping away from just the 
applicant getting a position role? What are some of the other things that you guys are working with? Well, I know that obviously you're interested in the tech side of things. And so we're always considering what tech is out there. We provide for all of our people what's referred to as a toolbox. And we in there show the tech stack that other individuals are using in their firm. And we try to give some insights as to what things they should be considering as they run their business. And what I hope is happening is we're also helping them determine which they should be focusing on, trying to avoid that shiny object syndrome. And the shiny object syndrome, I know for myself, when I was starting out the company, it was instead of just trying to make things work. And I mean, you know, there's, there's a time and place for everything, but there's the, oh, here's this new blah, blah, blah. And like, we have to jump on board this because it's the future. And I do a lot of work in marketing and four years ago, it was like, oh, the chat bots, this is this is the wave of the future and this is how you do so much lead generation and, and, you know, social media just starting. I mean, that was now 15 years ago, but uh, you gotta be doing on Facebook and you need all these likes and, and retweets on Twitter. And it's like, I can't pay my employees in likes or, or retweets. Like we, we had a marketer who we were paying way too much money, but besides the point. And that was, you know, when it's like, Hey, you know, we're not generating leads for people in sales to be closing. Like, you know, I, I feel like your role, and this is pretty explicit is to generate opportunities. It's like, Oh, well, you know, look at the engagement of our social media page and look at the traffic that's going to the website. That's up 25%. And it's like, yeah, but can we change your salary to traffic? <laughs> like we'll I'll, I'll give you all the traffic and just keep your paycheck and you can keep telling me how great now. Yes. It's an indicator. It can lead to more things, but conversions end of the day is what actually matters. But, you know, going to the, the shiny objects and the, I, I want to say that it's, it's just made up things because there are times where, a shiny object completely changes everything. So what are some of the mistakes that you see in the shiny object realm? Is it people that are just like, oh, I need this app for that and this app for that and this app for that. And then they have 700 apps and there's a ton of overlap on them speaking from experience. And then you're kind of stuck because there's information in all of them that matters and you get a new hire and you apologize that <laughs> nothing Nothing yeah. makes any sense. Yeah. Let me give you an example of what I've done with a number of clients. And I'm going to give it in the context of imagine you attend an event, a conference, and you go to the trade show area and you're seeing all these vendors. And as you're walking through, you're finding that there's some exciting things, things that you didn't know about. And they're obviously impressive. They're there to be, you know, they wow you and so forth. But here's the context that I would suggest. When you're considering in your business, whether or not you're going to use a new technology, the first thing that I think you need to assess is what what is the problem, the challenge that you're facing within your firm that you're trying to resolve? And in identifying that, I first ask the question, have you already systematized it that you know what you're trying to look for in a process to replace it? So let me give you an example. 
If you can recreate what it is you're doing in a very seamless paper experience and with physical paper illustrate, here's what we're trying to recreate with a digital uh, scenario or software solution. All of a sudden, it's very clear what it is you're trying to create in the digital space, what the problem is you're trying to resolve. So the first thing that I always try to or try to pose is, is there already a thing that you're trying to address or replace in a digital context because it's broken or because it's not seamless enough or it's taking too much time the way it's currently done? If that is then the problem or solution you're trying to address, it's more easy to find the solution because you know what you're looking for. You know you know what it's needing to do for you because you're already doing it anyway. And you're trying to see, okay, is this going to mesh well with our current operating system? So that's the first thing is go into the question or go into the situation with a question of what am I trying to actually replace or solve? And if you can begin there, I think too often you'll avoid all those shiny objects because they'll, they'll sound sexy, but what we're trying to do is actually address a specific thing. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I need you, I, what I would uh, suggest is, are you in a position where you're actually building something internally that your, your firm is going to use that the client doesn't uh, experience or get exposed to, or is this outward facing? It's going to impact the client relations. It's going to be something that you're going to expect them to do. And if that's the case, you've got two questions going on. One, if it's internal, great. How's my team going to embrace this, use this? It's a question of how is it going to impact their day-to-day -day operations? That's huge. If it's outward facing, what am I going to have to train my client on? What am I going to expect of them for this to be able to work? Because oftentimes that's probably the biggest sale. They've got their own company they're running. You're walking in saying, hey, by the way, for us to do this, I need you or someone on your team to do this. You've got to make a pretty compelling argument as to how it benefits them and how little time it's going to take of them to do it because they don't want more work. And so you've got to be sensitive to what you're going to be asking of them. So is the system, that shiny object, Addressing a specific problem or challenge that the company has already identified, is it internal or external facing? And then this brings me to my third point, which would be, I think too often we move on from whatever system or platform we've embraced too soon. We need to be willing to commit to training our staff, training whomever it touches, and more importantly, go deep into these software applications. I think a lot of them are very robust. They take time to learn. They take time to train. They take time to implement. You need to be willing, if you're going to embrace a technology, to say, we're going to use this for three, four months, and we're going to go deep into it. We're going to make it an integral part of our operating procedures before we get something else to implement. And that's part of that shock shiny object syndrome. Too often the business owner is coming back within a month or two with some new thing they want to implement in the company before the previous one's been fully integrated. And so I have to implore you, whether you're, you're doing it internally, it's outward facing, whether it's something to replace a new system or actually add, whatever it is, go deep implement it thoroughly in the company, become an expert of that platform before embracing some other new technology. So those are my three things that I always want to harp on. Yeah, so many of that. It It's one of those things, I think it makes a lot of sense in theory. And it's like, well, of course I would do that. But then the human nature side of things, where it's like, oh, well, it can't do this one little piece. And I think a lot of times people will... um the the jumping ship to solve a problem piece, I think you're right, and they do it too soon. 
But then even if they do it at an appropriate time, so for instance, with with our organization, we do a whole lot of our booking and scheduling through Calendly. I've been using it for seven years, six, seven years. I know the product backwards, forwards. I know what it can do. I know what it can't do. I know its integrations. I know its shortcomings. And there's there's one thing that is very, very difficult for us, and that's that it doesn't give you a dedicated person that every time you book, it keeps going into that one person's calendar. That's a big challenge for us. And But there's 99% of the other things that it does do that does extremely well. But the, for whatever reason, round robin won't just stick it with the same person, which in our organization is a bit of a headache. And 7% of the people that book appointments double book with somebody else. And then there's people stepping on each other's toes or an appointment time slot is taken that shouldn't have been taken and things like that. But am I going to switch from Calendly to something else? And the only thing I'm going to be looking at is can you do a dedicated, when somebody books, it sticks with that one person. I'm sure there's a software that does it, right? But I'm also taking for granted all of the other things that it does extremely well. And then when I get onto that new platform, okay, it fixes that one pain point that I was having, but I took for granted that it texts them reminders or that they can easily reschedule from an email or that they're familiar with how it works and it's intuitive or that it has an integration with my CRM or that it has an integration with Outlook. And so people will find that one pain point of here's the one thing that it can't do and then try to solve the one thing that they're having an issue with, jump ship, and then realize, oh, whoops, we shouldn't have done that or they invest really heavily in it and you know, giving it giving it a thorough investigation, I think, is something that more people should be doing. And I think they also should be taking into consideration that maybe there is a way that you can solve that problem, maybe with programming, scripting. And so for us, we just we get a notification. If somebody has double booked, you know, we I'm pretty good at programming. And so if somebody double books, get a notification and we cancel the old one. Yeah. So what you're describing, I think is an excellent example of how technology can be your biggest resource and help and why you need to be patient with it. Because there's two things. One, if the company is small enough, you could theoretically submit to Calendly a ticket and they could just go, oh my heavens, we've never even considered this situation. And lo and behold, they could put it on their thing of what they want to roll out in 2.0 and address that very thing. And it was simply because you spoke up and said something as a customer. And so there are smaller organizations, particularly that are very good at taking the feedback of the users and implementing things to kind of meet the needs because that's who they're trying to appease as their customer. But the second thing I would say is, I have found that sometimes just going deeper into the interface and the platform that you're using, there's sometimes a solution that is counterintuitive to what you thought it should be. Like, okay, this is how we do business. And I expect this software to do it my way. What well, turns out 500 other people figured out 
there is a better way to do it than the way you're doing it. This is archaic. These 500 other people have, have uh, figured out there's actually a better solution and you didn't even realize it, but yet the platform now resolves it in a way that's unique. You embrace this new thing. And it's like, hey, in the company, I know we like to do it this way. We're going to handle it this way moving forward. And voila, it opens up a whole new opportunity for you to actually embrace a new technology that then accelerates or simplifies your business. So excellent example. I appreciate you sharing it because it's just go deep, figure out what the system does, find its limitations, see if you can actually tweak it through a ticket that the company can actually address, or maybe there's a solution and you just need to adapt your business model to something that's a little bit more functional. And there's your solution. Yeah. I've, I've learned to take my ego out of the equation. And when we, before it was, so in the Calendly example, it was upfront. Well, upfront, you know, the salesman's complaining about it. And it's kind of boy who cried wolf. It's like, this guy's always complaining about everything. Like, okay, you know, sorry, you were double booked. Like, you know, it happens. And then, and then it was like, he complained enough. And then other people were speaking up about it too. So then we started tracking it and found, okay, like this actually does happen. It wasn't just this one guy freaking out about this one thing. So we look into it and then I'm looking for options and how they handle it. And at first I had told him can't be done because I looked through the software left and right on my own and couldn't find it. And then I took the initiative of, I submit a ticket and say, how do I stop people from booking in different events that goes to different people? Like they're all the same people in the same thing, but someone could be booking the same event twice and since it's distributed in round robin it just goes to a different person and so i had said to them how do i fix this and they say be sure to let your people to use the reschedule button instead of going back and it's like yeah i know how do we stop this problem from happening because no matter how much we yell please use the button people don't do it and you would you would hit on one thing that i think is really a really good point when choosing a technology stack we ran into this on the msp it side of the customer willingness on the front facing side to embrace what you're using so people that oh well we've got the super secure portal and you can send encrypted messages and all the customer has to do is go to this website and then create another account and then they have to change their password every 90 days and then put two-factor authentication on it and blah 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 and now we've got this secure portal and what the client he's taking pictures of his w2 and texting it to me but i've got this i've got this great secure portal why are they doing this? And so the customer adherence on the front-facing sides, just because it exists, yep, people still have to be using it. And we used to have a completely different tech stack for security than we do now. And it's for that exact point of it has all these bells and whistles that I want my clients to want, and they don't want it. They don't use it. And then you know they'll say, oh, I have an issue with this. And it's like, oh, well, learn this. And no one wants to learn a system to do business with you. They just want it to be easy. They just want it to work. So even the encryption portal that we use, you could put it in your signature and say, don't attach documents and email, click here. And it's just a new website with, you click the browse button, upload the document, click send. Super easy to be sending encrypted messages. Now, there's a million different ways to do it and can make it super, super complicated or 
kind of take the ego out of it and the here is a so-called better way to do it and how you know it should be done but if nobody's using it it doesn't matter we've run into that with like documentation products and we've gotten a lot better since covid and did the remote work from home movement but you know it was like oh well this stuff it isn't documented well there isn't documentation on how to handle this weird thing and it's like we need to buy documentation software was the you know oh how do we solve this we buy a solution and it's like you realize two of the products that we already use have documentation pieces maybe it doesn't have all the bells and whistles but we're not even using that so if it was we are using it and it still can't fulfill the needs that we have and we have submitted a ticket to them and found out 100% certain that it can't get us to be where we want to be then it's a good time to look at the investment. It's like kind of how um, like exercise equipment works. It's like, it's not your fault. You're out of shape. You don't own this equipment. And then you own the equipment and you don't use it because you weren't the kind of person that was using it to begin with. But, you know, we get sold on the idea. If I just buy this, everything's going to change. So that, that adherence piece of choosing the technology stack is extremely, extremely underrated. And I used to jump from product to product to product to product. And I hate getting new software now. If there is a 80% we can accomplish what we're looking for with something that we already have, it's not even the spending money or the time and learning it. It's just another thing. And... And imagine it from the employee's point of view. Every time you go to a conference, you come back with some new thing that we have to learn and implement and do with the clients. And it's work for them. You just have the idea and you say implement, right? And so what's happening is you're just frustrating everyone around you. So if you use the thing that I'd suggested earlier, first go in with a deliberate, this is what we're trying to resolve, fix. If you are clear as to what it is you're trying to simplify, then it's very clear what the solution will be. So once you find the solution, you want to then realize, is this internal facing or external facing? Who's it affecting? And that actually helps things move forward. But the third question, or not question, but rather suggestion is go deep. You've got to figure this out. So before you jump to the next thing, You've got to make sure this is fully implemented, fully trained, fully understood, that you're utilizing all the tools within it. And that sometimes involves the tickets that you're sending out or just going deep and making sure that your business is adapting or implementing all the things that that technology can provide before going on to the next one. We ran into that when we were choosing the the remote monitoring management software that we are using, which it was a big, big decision for the company. And it wasn't a are we going to do this? But it was just what product are we going to use? And sort of like the gold standard with everything was connect wise, blah, blah, blah. And, and everyone said it's expensive. It's comprehensive. It takes a while to learn, but it's the best. And so I went into it with that mindset of it's going to take me a little bit to learn and it's going to be expensive, but it's the best. We want the best. We don't want to cheap out on this part of our business. Like we're an IT business and this matters. And but after two months of living in the software, and we had to pay a consultant to help us set it up. And it was just me doing the training. And at that time, we had like 15 techs. 
And after two months of me desperately wanting it to be the solution, and then I realized I'm going to have to teach 15 people how to do this thing that I can barely navigate after two months. Like I went about as deep as you can get in two months, you know, the universities and all these other things and the consultants, like I went deep and it was just, oh man, this is, I mean, it's what everyone said. They said it takes a while to learn, but it was like, it, is it just the, is it the product? Is it me? And then we, we tried another one that was sort of like our number two pick. Mm -hmm. And like in an hour, it was like, oh, oh, this does all that. Oh, and I see what they did here. They just have that whole month of training. It's just in a box. Oh, you check a couple of things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The product and the product, you know, it was a younger company. So it was like in that I could, I'd have like direct access to the founder, which it's, it's good for if you've got pull and you can get certain features that you want added to the, the thing. But I've just learned, I sort of have my hesitation up with the smaller softwares because you never know the things that you take for granted with the ones that were already working. That's sort of been my biggest learning lesson from changing softwares. And, and it's been you know, after an hour, it's like, Oh, I'm very proficient in this. I could roll out. They don't need a universe. It was like, my hangup was they didn't have a university. This will be difficult. The fact of the matter was they didn't need a university because it was very, very intuitive. The other thing could send a rocket to the moon. It wasn't a lack of features and capabilities, but you know, if you're just trying to to do a road trip to the next state, you know, in this analogy, it's like I need a car that's going to be reliable. It's not just you know a quick trip to the grocery store, but I don't necessarily need all this craziness. And so my team doesn't know what I spared them from. Oh yeah. I lost two months of my life trying to figure it out, but figuring out the technology stack that works for your organization is a very, very underrated thing. And, you know, going to the conferences and seeing all the shiny things, except for if you're looking for a managed service company that you should jump on immediately. If you see tech for accountants, you should just get it without even <laughs> thinking about the implications. But in the same vein of what this conversation is about, our whole security stack is based on a, this is super, super easy for the client to learn and implement. There isn't a learning curve. It's very, very, very minimal. Maybe a website will have trouble loading. You got to check a couple boxes, but very minimal compared to what it used to be of here, learn this, here, learn this, here, learn this. I promise once this is all done, you'll be happy because no one, no one cares. Like the tech people want it, but if the client doesn't want it and the client doesn't use it, then you've just wasted all this time and energy. And I'm, I'm just at the, the point now in the company. So we're at year nine now where we, what we have works we're constantly improving it and thank God I can do programming and API work to make things talk to each other that don't normally talk to each other because 
we'd probably just have to start all over <laughs> if if i was just given a blank slate i'd probably completely change everything if i was yeah, starting yeah. over but you know it was like oh well i need this for this and this for this and this for this and well i've got 70 different softwares and none of them talk to each other time to learn how to program so Roger, I want to be conscious of your time, but thank you so much for being on the show. You know, we, we hit on My so pleasure. many, so many cool topics of the, the tech stack, which is conversation that I love hitting on and just how topical it was that we're talking on getting hired. And, you know, if someone's watching this and you were a person that applied for the tech job, yeah, if you, if you nudged in there, I watched the interview with you and Roger, then it's like, uh, you know, that's, that's going to make you stand out more than the copy paste. Hello, sir slash madam. I would like to be considered for the role of copy paste title. I think I'd be a great generic fit, which is still more than other people are doing, but there you go. Where, where can people learn more about you and universal accounting? Please. Yes. Go to universalaccounting.com. In, in the uh, site, there is actually a free resource section. It's right in the navigation. Go there. You would find information regarding the job placement discussion that we had had today. It's a course designed to help people with job placement. There's also information there regarding a free toolbox. It's basically all the tech type things that accounting firms use as they run their business. It's essentially the tech stacks that the professionals are using that you can find out more information about. So just go to universalaccounting.com and check out the free resource section. Fantastic. And as always, if you are curious as to whether or not your current IT guy has any clue what they're doing, you know, getting that third party perspective, everything we do is based off the IRS publications in cybersecurity. So it's not really an opinion. It's just page X says why you either have it or you don't just for some peace of mind. And, you know, plenty of times we let people know, Hey, you've got a really good guy. He doesn't know. He doesn't know these little nuanced things, but all right, you know, we could just sort of nudge him in the right direction. Or how do I politely say your person has no clue and has been ripping you off for the last last couple of years? So either way, you go to techforaccountants.net and get a uh, complimentary IT audit, get the answers for yourself. And Roger, thank you so much for being on the show. It's It was a pleasure having you on. And, you know, it was, it was one of those conversations that took a very different direction than what we than what we're usually talk about, which is awesome. I love hitting on the tech and all, all the pain I've gone through and picking out. <laughs> no, it was my pleasure. Stuff. Yeah, this was Just awesome. Stuff. Yeah. Well, let all me right. end with this though. If it's about accounting, it's universal. So just for everyone ah, out there. Ah, I see what you did there. <laughs> have, a, have a great day. It was great having you on. You bet. Take care. Be safe, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tech Talk for Accountants show. I hope you enjoyed today's guest. And remember, you can go to techforaccountants.net slash podcast to book a complimentary IT audit conducted by a technician certified by the AICPA in cybersecurity. Again, that's tech, the number four, accountants.net slash podcast.